Here's the tragic truth. 21st century Christians don't know the Bible. That's the truth. And that's why you may think this is a crazy statement, but that's one of the main reasons that our country's in the shape she's in. Because the world follows the strength or the weakness of the church, always has. You check, you can examine that historical pattern, you'll find it to be accurate. When the church gets weak, the world gets even weaker. And the church gets weak when Christians don't know their Bible. Now, I can't change that fact, but I can strive to change that for the people who attend this church. And there's a number of things that we, uh, by the way, this is, the, the cough is still me getting over the, the uh, flu or cold that I had three weeks ago. So uh, it's, all, it's all fine, but I, I, it's, it has hung on as far as uh, the final stages here. Um, <coughs> don't you love it, though, when somebody tells you, well, I'm not contagious? Yeah, thanks. Um, anyway, but that's why in Sunday school, we, uh, we do the stories of the Bible, through the Bible, every two years. It is very important for you to know the stories of the Bible. And then on Wednesday night, for about the last 10, maybe 12 years, we've gone verse through verse through, uh, verse by verse through various books of the Bible. And we've, we've covered Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, we have covered James, First Peter, other books, and now we are in the book of Romans. We've been in the book of Romans, I think Wednesday night we did Bible study number 82, verse by verse through the book of Romans. And of course, Sunday morning and Sunday night, I preach the truths and the doctrines of the Bible as the Lord leads me. We began several weeks ago getting an overview of the 21 books of the Bible known as the epistles. The epistles begin at the book of Romans and go all the way through the book of Jude. The epistles were written to the New Testament church. Now, understand this. I say this often, but it bears repeating. That the entire Bible is for you. But the entire Bible was not written to you. So before you can understand how any part of the Bible will help you, you have to understand, I'm going to say, who it was written to, and the proper way is to whom it was written. Okay, let me give you, to me, one of the clearest examples. If you take God's promise to Abraham, God's promise to Abraham was, I will make of you a great nation. And you say, oh, that's to me. (laughs) You're not going to see that promise come to pass. God is not promising to make a great nation out of you personally. That was written to Abraham. But it's still for you in the context of understanding to whom it was written. Because when you look at Abraham, you learn so many lessons. God keeps his word. He promised Abraham he would do it, and he did it. You learn that, that um, you have to wait for God's timing. You learn that through Abraham. You learn that God does the impossible. The beginning of that nation was a son that it was impossible for them to have outside of God's touch. So it's for you, but it wasn't written to you. So understand as you read any book of the Bible, to whom it was written... Now, there are some books that weren't written to anybody. 
like the book of Psalms. Okay, so that's, that's for everybody. But then again, understand the context of each individual psalm. Okay, the epistles were written to local churches or people in local churches or leadership of local churches. So the epistles are to us. They are to the church age. And the epistles provide us with more specific doctrine for our day than maybe any other section of the Bible. So it's very important for us to know the epistles. I'm not saying the epistles are more important than any other part of the Bible or more true or more anything else. But what does make them exclusive or special, unique, is that they were written to local New Testament churches, which we are a part of in this age, all right? So, the epistles. We have studied Romans. We studied a couple weeks ago 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians. And last week we were in Galatians. Now we are at the book of Ephesians. Let me remind you that the purpose of uh, these studies is not for you to learn the whole book in in one 20-minute sitting. That's not going to happen. But for you to have the tools to take home, and when you're sitting at your house and you open up your Bible, you have a better understanding of the context of what you're reading. I I don't want you to just pull, like, headlines out of the Bible, like slogans. Like, oh, look at this slogan I found. Well, what does it mean? I don't know, but aren't those words good? No, I want you to know what those words mean in their context because that's where the power is. So what I'm trying to do, give you every Sunday is the context of these 21 books. And I remind you that the outline, the basic outline of the book of Ephesians is on the back of your bulletin. You can keep that. You can keep those if you want to. <coughs> when we finish this series sometime at the end, during the summer, I imagine that'll be, I'll provide you with, I imagine we can do it for, I mean, they'll just be copies. It's not going to be a book or anything. But uh, we can make these copies. I'll make them available to you at cost, which I'm sure won't even be $5 probably, so that you can have them all together, and it'll be a resource in your Bible study, your Bible reading. So the book of Ephesians. Now, let me say this also. I'm going to give you a theme, a key verse, and some outlines here. These are not... The law of the land. I'm not the authority on what the theme of Ephesians. This is the theme that I gave it as I studied it myself. If you read it yourself and you studied it and you said, I think I've got a better theme, I would love to hear it. Yeah, I think I've got a better outline of Ephesians. I would love to hear it. I would love for you to put it in print and give me a copy. I'm not saying that as a smart aleck. I mean that. I wish I could get a thousand different pastors who know the Lord and love the Lord to all give me their outline for the book of Ephesians so I could learn different perspectives. Doesn't mean that it means different things to different people. I don't believe that and that's not true. But you might have a slightly different perspective on it that would give insight to me. I am not the be-all, end-all student of the Bible. I am not a Bible scholar, a Bible expert. I am one more Bible student. And if you come up with, a, with an outline of, of Ephesians and a theme and a key verse that really speaks to you, please share it with me. I mean that. I mean that with all my heart. So let me show you what I've got here. The theme of Ephesians, the Christian walk. The key verse, Ephesians 
2.10. For we are his workmanship, created unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. The word walk is used many times in the book of Ephesians. But the Christian walk is the walk that God has ordained. To some extent, there are elements of it that are the same for all of us. Walk in love. Walk according to the vocation wherewith we are called. Walk circumspectly. Walk in the power of his might. All right? These are, <coughs> these are aspects of the walk that are the same for all of us. But then there are aspects of your walk as a Christian that are going to be unique to you. That God is uniquely calling you to walk. Walk as a, as a businessman. Walk as a tradesman. Walk as a, as a uh, preacher. Walk, there, there's walk as, some are called to you know, walk to be a, a husband. Walk to be a father. Walk as a Christian mother, as a Christian wife. The, the specifics of our walk are different for everybody. But there are certain elements of your Christian walk that are the same for all believers. So the Christian walk. I told you that every book of the Bible, you ought to strive to find a, a simple outline. And maybe be so, listen, you would be light years ahead of the average believer if you knew the theme of every book of the Bible, all 66 books, and if you had in your mind and in your heart a simple outline of the book, you would be light years ahead of a lot of preachers, dare I say most preachers, if you knew the theme of every book of the Bible. And when I say know the theme, I don't mean read somebody else's book and memorize it. I mean you study your Bible and say after reading this book about 40 times, I have prayerfully come to the conclusion that the theme of this book is such and such. And then you memorize it. And then you break down that book in a simple outline. Chapters 1 through 2 are this. Chapters 3 through 10 are this. And you have an overview of that book. You say, man, that's a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of physical work being in physical shape. And it's a lot of spiritual work being in spiritual shape. It is a lot of work, but it's worth it. So, here's our simple outline for the book of Ephesians. You ready for this? Very simple. Chapters 1 through 3, the basis, B-A-S-I-S, basis of the Christian walk. Chapters 4 through 6, excuse me, the basics, B-A-S-I-C-S, of the Christian walk. You say, that's, that's pretty simple. That's why I called it a simple outline. Chapters 1 through 3, the basis, the foundation of the Christian walk. And chapters 4 through 6, the basics, as in the basic details of the Christian walk. Let's look at this chapter by chapter. Only six chapters. This will be pretty painless. Chapter 1, <coughs> spiritual blessings. The key verse of chapter 1, verse number 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. Chapter number 2, salvation by grace. Key verse, verse number 8. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Chapter 3, the, the uh, title of chapter 3, eternal purpose. And the key verse, 
according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has an eternal purpose, and most believers could not even tell you what that eternal purpose is. Oh, to get people saved. Nope, that's not it. That's part of it, but that's not it. And if you can't tell me what the eternal purpose is, you can't be a part of it if you don't know what it is. God's eternal purpose is described to us in Romans chapter 8, verses 28, 29, 30. God's eternal purpose is to form a race of people, an eternal race of people. So we're talking about that ultimately lives in heaven with him. A race of people who have the character of Jesus Christ. It says that God's purpose, Romans 8 says, his purpose is for Jesus to be the firstborn of many brethren. And that he is creating people who are conformable to the character, the person of Jesus Christ. That's God's eternal purpose. When all of this is said and done, it's not going to be who owned what or how much money we had or who was famous <coughs> or who invented what. When all this is said and done, it's going to be who was willing and allowed God to make them like Jesus Christ. That's what it's all about. And, of course, it begins with salvation. So, yes, getting people saved is a part of it. But the ultimate is becoming like Jesus Christ. That's God's eternal purpose. Chapter 3. Chapter number 4, walk worthy of your calling. The key... I'm sorry, do you have any more of those cough drops? I just have a scratch. Really? Oh, God bless you. Oh, yes. If I have another child, their middle name is going to be Ricola. Very good. <coughs> I just have a scratch that won't quit. Thank you, Brother Steve. Chapter 4, walk worthy of your calling. Verse 1 is the key verse. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Chapter 5, walk as unto the Lord. Key verses, verses 8 through 10. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable to the Lord. Walk as unto the Lord. And then chapter 6, <coughs> walk, in the, <coughs> walk in the power of the <coughs> I'm sorry. <coughs> walk in the power of the Lord. The key verse is verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So just to see the big picture here. The basis of the Christian walk are our spiritual blessings, salvation by grace, and God's eternal purpose. That's the basis for why we live like we live as Christians. The basics of the Christian walk are walk worthy of your calling, your calling to salvation, walk as unto the Lord, and walk in the power of the Lord. So there's your book of Ephesians. Now let me give you some things in Ephesians that you don't want to miss. First of all, don't miss the description in chapter 1 of the blessings that every believer enjoys. Now, there are dozens of them, but let me just show you a few of them quickly. In verse number 4, He hath chosen us in Him 
before the foundation of the world. Don't ever forget, Christian, that you are a child of God because you were chosen. Now, there's some false teaching about this, and then there's Bible teaching about this. Let me tell you what the Bible teaches about this uh, versus the false teaching. The false teaching is that before God created the world, he arbitrarily decided that he would create some people to go to heaven and he would create other people to go to hell. That's not in the Bible. But that is a false teaching about people being chosen. The Bible teaching about this centers around a word foreknowledge. Whom he did foreknow. Now, the only way around that the false teachers have is to redefine foreknow. But we know what foreknow means. And if you're going to redefine words, you're going to wind up in all kinds of false doctrine. Foreknow means to know in advance. Advance. And the Bible says we are elect according to the foreknowledge of God. It's not just that God knew that you were going to get saved. It's not that. God knew certain things about your person that caused him to choose you. Now, it's summarized in Romans 8. What did he say? He said that, we, that uh, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. So what did he foreknow about us? That we would be conformable. Not to any merit of ours. But all kinds of circumstances, who was praying for us would make us conformable. God foreknew whether there would be godly influences in our life. God foreknew if there would be circumstances in our life that would make us desperate enough. Some, re- some people are not conformable to God because they have so, much, so, many, so many things. They're blinded by materialism. They're blinded by education. They're blinded by fame. They're blinded by so many things that they are not conformable to the image of Christ. What God foreknew about us is whether or not we would be conformable. And on that basis, he chose us. They say, well, why is it important to make that distinction? And, and the other one, which God arbitrarily created us to be damned or to be saved. Because the false teaching says that Jesus only died for the people that God arbitrarily selected to be saved. And nothing could be more unscriptural than that. The scripture clearly says the opposite of that. Jesus died for everybody. Hey, when God tells me to go to a lost person and say, Jesus died for you, but if they don't get saved, he didn't. He's telling me to lie? No, I'm supposed to go to everybody and say, Jesus died for you. Because he did die for everybody. So, Don't miss the fact that you are chosen. But you're chosen on the basis that before God ever created the world, he knew every detail of your life. And he knew whether or not you would be conformable to the image of Jesus Christ. Not any merit of yours, but just because of the circumstances of your life. He knew whether or not you'd be conformable. Another great... (laughs) I ain't going to take ten minutes on every one of these. I'm sorry. But verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. Verse 6, don't miss this. He has made us to be accepted in the beloved. 
Verse 7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Verse 8, he hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will. You could, you could <coughs> celebrate your meditation of chapter 1 for days and days and days. Don't miss the blessings listed in Ephesians chapter 1. Don't miss either in chapter 2 the before and after picture that's found in verses 1 through 10. What you were before you were saved versus what you're like now that you are saved. In chapter 3, don't miss the prayer that Paul prays for the people in verses 14 through 21. In chapter 4, don't miss the doctrine concerning the church, which a lot of people do miss, the doctrine concerning the local church. Chapter 4 describes how this institution right here, the local New Testament church, is God's factory for making Christians like Jesus. That is described in Ephesians 4. And apparently the, the crowd, we talked about it in Sunday school, apparently the folks that have come up with this philosophy that I don't need church, well, besides being an absolutely arrogant statement, you're calling God a liar. Because God in his word shows in a hundred different ways that he made the local New Testament church to make us what he wants us to be. And you and I cannot do without it. Ephesians chapter 4 describes that process. Don't miss it. Ephesians chapter 5, don't miss the teaching on marriage. Fabulous. If all you had as your marriage instruction was in Ephesians chapter 5, you'd be in pretty good shape. It's powerful stuff. And they don't miss the armor of the Lord in chapter 6. All right, we're coming in for a landing here. We are five minutes away from the closing prayer. Some things to take home with you from Ephesians. The riches of your salvation. Ephesians 1 verse 7 in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Something else to take home with you today from Ephesians, the greatness of God's love to you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us. That needs to sink into your soul. His great love wherewith he loved us. Can you say that with me? Ready? His great love, wherewith he loved us. I don't think it would do injustice to the scriptures at all to change the us to me. His great love, wherewith he loved me. If it's true of us, then it's true of me. So let's say that together. His great love, wherewith he loved me. Ready? His great love, wherewith he loved me. Say that again. His great love, wherewith he loved me. One more time. Those words are so sweet. His great love, wherewith he loved me. I beg you not to picture God as a mean old grump that's trying to get you. I can't stand it when I hear Christians say, well, God got me. You know, I, I, uh, I didn't pray the other day, and God got me. God's not trying to get you, and God doesn't get you. He, his great love, where we don't see God as, as an old grump, an old grouch, Ebenezer Scrooge up in the sky who's trying to make your life miserable, trying to catch you to doing wrong so he can smack you. No. He's your loving father. You know one reason that God, I'm sorry, one reason that Satan attacks 
fathership so much? I mean, fathership has always been under attack. You know why a fathership has always been under attack? Because your father is your image of God. And if you didn't have a loving father, you're not going to have a good image of God. If you had a, maybe somebody in this room had a father who was drunk most of the time and smacked you around, then that's what you're, you, that's what you're going to think God is. But God loves you. And if you can think of the most loving father imaginable, maybe, maybe you had a lousy father, but you can think of some, a family down the street that, man, I always wish that my dad was like his dad or her dad. Well, even that father is nothing in comparison to the way your heavenly father loves. His great love wherewith he loves you. His great love wherewith he loves me. If you can find some peace and quiet this afternoon, if you have a room in your house where there's peace and quiet, and you say, I wish, but if you have a room in your house where there's peace and quiet, if you have a front porch or a bench out in the backyard or a place where you walk in the woods or park that you go to, go sit there for a little bit and just let those words go through your head. Meditate on that phrase, his great love wherewith he loved me. His great love wherewith he loved me. His great love wherewith, in fact, I think I'm making it past tense, and it's not in the past tense. His great love wherewith, oh, it is in the verse, it's in the past tense, but you can make it present tense because he hasn't stopped loving you. His great love wherewith he loves us, loves me. And then take with you the infiniteness, and that is a word, the infiniteness of God's power. Ephesians 3, verse 20. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think. Man, I can ask big stuff. I can think big stuff. And God's able to do so much exceedingly abundantly, exceeding abundantly above anything that I can ask and anything I can think. That's what God wants to do for you. Last takeaway here, the immeasurable importance of prayer. Ephesians 6, verse 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Ephesians is a treasure chest like no other. And if you want to find a wonderful description of what your walk as a Christian, what God wants it to be and, and the potential that it has to transform your life, spend a lot of time in this wonderful book of Ephesians.